Right, hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast, the first episode of 2022, uh, hosting as always, my name's Dan, and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Happy New Year, Dan. And Calm. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you both, uh, I hope your uh, festivities in Stoke went well. Yeah, not too bad, I made it there and back, which was the, which was the main worry to be honest, so yeah, just glad to be back home safely, Dan, to be honest. Apart from snow, Stoke doesn't strike me as a kind of place that has festivities, to be honest. But um, I, 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 I mean, you say that, Dan. I managed to get to the pantomime with my nieces while I was up there. It's uh, it's always a joy, the uh, Regent Theatre pantomime. Um, so what, what was it this year? Go, uh, I mean, it's always just Jonathan Wilkes playing the same character in, in various <laughs> different stories. I think it was Cinderella Con from I, I imagine he makes us a lovely Cinderella. <laughs> oh, not good on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we oh go. dear. Yeah. Uh, that's probably about as cheerful as this podcast will get. Um, in our kind of chat before, and it feels like we've done this podcast before with the main subjects of it. We've done it several times, but again, we can't escape from COVID. We can't escape from uh, VAR, unfortunately, and we we can't escape from uh, setbacks. A, a plenty for Manchester United, but where I'd like to to, to start tonight um, is with the impending threats to the, the Carling Cup semi-finals, or certainly one of the many where um, I've heard conflicting reports. Someone told me that Liverpool's training ground has been closed. Uh, the Athletic said that it's not been yet, but um, we are petitioning the EFL to get the game cancelled on Thursday. If that game goes, I don't see how the FA Cup game against Shrewsbury on Sunday can continue. Uh, and of course, the second leg against Arsenal is um, due to be next Thursday as well. So I, I really don't see how we can fulfil that fixture at this time because we've already been struggling with COVID. And finally, we've decided to give up and say, right, we, we, we can't go on like this. We must ask for games to be stopped. And I, I don't see where we could squeeze in a two-legged tie. I could see where we could squeeze a one-legged tie in, but I don't think that Tottenham and Chelsea completely understandable will agree to that. That's not really fair. We can't be having one two-legged tie and then one one-off game. So so where do we go here? It's it's causing a logjam and the World Cup is going to cause an even bigger logjam. Everything has to be done by the end of the season. It's just completely tight. Obviously, the Carling Cup final set in stone. It doesn't look like we're going to be moving away from fans attending stadiums. This is this this tournament is in trouble. Yeah, it is, Dan. It's um, you know, we've joked before about being the the, the football podcast that moans about there being too much football. But I think if there's <laughs> if there's evidence that there's too much football, it's in these situations where you know, and look, we shouldn't be trying to plan seasons in case COVID happens, right? That that's not a sensible way to go. But it it just shows how compressed everything is that. Uh, the few postponements we've had over Christmas, and we talked about it, didn't we, on our last podcast of of last year, the risk that, that games were going to go over the Christmas period. Um, and certainly the Football League games have been going left, right and centre uh, due to due to COVID postponements. Um, there's just nowhere to fit these fixtures. The calendar is so compressed. Uh, Liverpool are, are still in Europe, obviously, that, that takes away the ability to move dates down the line. But But even if they weren't, you do have this issue of when the Carling Cup final takes place. Um, 
sorry, is it is it still calling cup finals? Is it Capital One now? I can never remember what it's, the it's, is. it's neither. It's the Carabao Cup. The Carabao Cup. That's it. <laughs> the League <laughs> Cup. It's the not, League Cup. It's neither. It's the Carlin Fizzy Pot Pointless Cup. That's what we call it on this podcast. <laughs> Please let's stick to our naming conventions. <laughs> so, so the Fizzy Pot Pointless Cup. They did move the final last year, didn't they? Because I think Chelsea it was played, played in April, wasn't it? Yeah. Chelsea played Spurs in about April. Now I I don't know if there's any appetite to do that. I I think um, that because Liverpool are in Europe, I'm not sure you'd gain anything by doing that. I don't know you'd you'd find any more time to fit the fit the games in. There's all sorts of UEFA rules as well about what level of senior competition domestic games can happen the same midweek as as Europa game or as a Champions League game, which is completely balmy, uh, but has, has been a UEFA rule now for a number of years. Um, and so I just, it's really difficult to see where they fit all these all these fixtures in. If the game gets postponed on Thursday, is the space to maybe fit one uh, leg in somewhere? I, I just don't know. Obviously, Arsenal have had their own postponement against Wolves so that's a fixture that they've got to fit in somewhere we've also got a postponement against Chelsea because they're off playing in some bonkers world club <laughs> super championship at some point so that's another game that's that's got to be fitted in somewhere because that's what everybody needs at this point in time a pointless FIFA jaunt to Japan or wherever they're going to hold it I mean it, it's just ludicrous uh from from a purely selfish Arsenal perspective, Dan, my answer is we cannot postpone the semi-finals until Mane and Salah are back from Africa. Uh, as long as yeah, is as that what this that... training ground closure is all about? Is this just a is this just a ruse? you've seen through my plan. As long as that's not the answer that the FA come up with, um, I'm kind of open to them trying to be creative. I. I at the same time, I wouldn't want Arsenal to get to the final because Liverpool have to default. I mean, if it happens, it happens. But but that's not really the way that Arsenal would want it. I think, you know, obviously Arteta feels as though he's really making progress with the team. They played really well at the weekend against Man City. Um, if they get to a final, I'd want to feel that they've got there on their own merits and not because uh, not because another team's had a COVID outbreak at, at the wrong time. Um and I think it, it kind of leads me on where Liverpool are at the moment. That might lead me on to, I think we're going to touch on the title race at some point, but I'll, I'll hold my fire on that for now and, and, and see whether Khan's got anything to add on, on how on earth we try and fill in these, these cup fixtures, both in the league cup and in the FA cup. If, if a load of third round games get postponed, because there's, it, there's only like two weeks between round three and round four, isn't there? So God knows where they those games get fitted in. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, I don't, I don't have any, any, any better idea than than probably anyone else does, to be honest with you. I think all, all I was going to say is that, you know, that I've seen, I think Sky reporting that um, Tottenham are waiting to confirm on on some COVID tests and things like that as well. So there's, you know, potential developments in the other semi final, which, in a way, almost might be better because then you think, well, you can't just give a bye to to you know to Arsenal and Chelsea and say sorry Tottenham and Liverpool because that would massively devalue the competition so it almost might be better if if there was a team in each semi-final that had a problem that might sort of cause a, a better decision to be made potentially um whether that's you know to make them one-legged or or, or move them out or whatever um but I, I guess we'll need to see how that develops um ahead of the game you know we'll probably know by the morning if that's an issue because that, that's the first one isn't it Chelsea Spurs is that's um, tomorrow, yeah. Tomorrow, yeah. So you'd imagine that they would have to sort of shout that loud and clear by the morning if 
if they want that to be uh, postponed or called off. But, you know, I can't see um, them wanting a final with two teams that haven't played a semi-final to get there because that, that just seems a bit bonkers and I think must be pretty unprecedented, I would have thought. Well, this this buy character's already done too well for my liking in the darts. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I think we'll have to, to keep... Play the final at Ali Pali or something, won't we? <laughs> oh, no, don't, not Which might don't, suit the reduced, reduced slash no fans agenda we've talked about before. Well, so. It would suit my agenda if there was no fans allowed in the darts because they're an embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, just go, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't much social distancing that I could see I going on last say, night. Yeah. <laughs> Fancy a social distance in the brain cells. <laughs> There's been more nine darters than there was brain cells in that crowd over the entire tournament. But I digress. Um, if like, you've you kind of picked up on something there, Cam, do we see an instance where this might be where the, the FA? Well, not the FA, sorry, because it's in the FL tournament. Where the EFL put their head in the hands tomorrow and say, right, okay, we're going to have to have a, a, a neutral venue to one. You know, like to, to one-off games to, to determine this. I mean, I, I'm all for that. And you know, like, I, I, to be honest with you, I don't care. Arsenal were drawn at home first. I, I would play that a one-off semi-final at the Emirates, not because of, I, it, it would be an easy game because it, it, it patently wouldn't, but it would just remove, just e- ease the fixture list a bit. And this is something that Jurgen's been calling for. And you know, Jurgen's not always right. I do think he's right about about the the, the semi-finals. Well, well, I think it's time for a one-legged tie. Well, we talked about this again in December, didn't we, when this conversation came up after the quarterfinals and the idea then was was sort of mooted, wasn't it, about having the, the semifinals as two one-off games and the EFL were like, no, 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 we we must protect our, our two-legged semifinal. I mean, I'm against a two-legged semifinal anyway. I think it's daft, but um, it certainly given the circumstances and given the challenges we're facing with the fixture list, it would make sense to me to... Uh, if both games are, are at risk, then let's just leave it a week and play play one-legged semi-finals next week. And if that gets played at a neutral venue, then then so be it. I mean, to a certain extent, I, I, I again like you, Dan. I, I think I, I'm not really fussed what the answer is, but but there needs to be a resolution because clearly um, the risk otherwise is that we we fiddle about more with the games that are going to follow in February and March, and, and who knows how long this latest spike in cases is going to go on. We might still be getting new COVID cases, outbreaks in clubs in February and March time, and then there's nowhere to postpone games to. So I, I think we, we have to try and get this tournament finished on the, the deadline to get this tournament finished, which means semi-finals in the next couple of weeks and final in February. And and if the best way to do that is one legs, then uh, one legged semis, then people have just got to be sensible and, and pragmatic about that, I think, and not cling to some long held view of how the tournament should run. From the EFL's perspective, I can see their, their logic. Their logic is if we can see the two legged semi-final this year, it will it's never gone. come back. Mm, yeah. 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 Which, which I think is right, um, uh, and the EFL clearly doesn't want to get there. So, who knows? But um, it will be an interesting forty-eight hours to see what happens. Yeah, but I, I think you are right, though. That yeah, kick, kicking the can down the road um, is not the right answer because there is never going to be a quiet time <laughs> between now and May to play the games, particularly given you know the clubs involved as well. Um, you know, they're all sort of prominent Premier League clubs. There's, you know, some of them are in Europe and things like that. So it's not like it's just going to magically open up, 
in a few weeks' time to uh, to play them then. So I think I think you're right. Whatever the answer is, it should be to get to get them done. Um, you know, by the I end mean, of there month. is a part of me that will find it hilarious if this is a second tournament Tottenham are knocked out of without having been able to play the relevant game. Um, <laughs> but, but, but for the uh, for the you know for the sanctity of the tournament, that that's not something anybody should want, really. No, and if you recall uh, when we had to go and play the intergalactic champions thingy, um, world club thing. Um, we had to put out uh, basically under 18s team, Aston Villa, and we got beat five nil. We got battered, um, and it wasn't a good look for the competition that we basically had to forfeit um, our place in it because we were otherwise engaged. And I, I really hope that we don't have to do that again. As as you both know, I'm not a massive lover of the the Carlin fizzy pot pointless cup, but um, I, I don't want to see us basically have to, to forfeit our players. And, and as you, you've, you've both said, it doesn't look good for the tournament when that happens anyway. Yeah, and I think I think as well, and you sort of touched on it, Paul, but, you know, it, it's for good teams and quite evenly matched teams as well in, in many respects that are, that are in those semi-finals. So I think just as a as a neutral fan, because um, my, my team don't get to the business end of, of any tournaments anymore, or, or when we do, we fail spectacularly in them. So it's probably best we avoid getting to any finals. But, you know, as a neutral, I'm quite looking forward to watching them um, as well. And I'm sure I'm not, not alone with that because they are, you know, there's quite a good set of games there. Um, that I think you know most people would would want to see happen in some form or another, whether it is a you know one legged or two. Is that is that penalty shootout against Villarreal finished now, Carl? <laughs> <laughs> David de Gea is still crying in the corner. Well, David de Gea can only save things with his feet, by the looks of it. <laughs> so, so keep all the penalties out of range of his feet, and you, you're fine. Um, I think that that kind of covers the. It's it's difficult. I, I, and you use the word you know sensible and pragmatic. That that ain't of the AFL poll. No, no, quite. No, uh, we'll probably have to have a triple threat tie. So we make it a fatal four. We make all four teams play each other, and um, somehow they'll still be away from Manchester City to win it. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> with that not very thinly disguised comment, um, if we move to. To VAR, Paul, you must have been fuming. New Year's Day, Arsenal played very well against Man City, largely. A um, couple of mistakes cost a, a penalty and a red card, but I, I don't know what more we, we can do. The, the inconsistency with VAR, it, 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 I, I'm not neutral when it comes to Arsenal against Man City because I obviously want Manchester City to lose because I, we need to catch up ground on them. But I did not like the way that VAR was using that game again. I, frankly, Arsenal were cheated. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've just about calmed down from it now. But I was livid over the weekend because I, I, I or, or you know, yeah, it was the weekend, wasn't it? New Year's Day was Saturday. Yeah. Um, I've lost all track of days at this time of year. <laughs> but, but I, I think Arsenal played outstandingly well, especially for the first hour of the game um, when it was 11 v 11. They, they were really, really good, uh, better than Manchester City and I think just about every facet. I think Pep Guardiola accepted that after the game, um, although he couldn't help but say it was all because Manchester City with their, you know, billion-pound squad had had to play three days previous um, and Arsenal hadn't. Uh, but, you know, I, I've, I've read 
pieces from three prominent former referees in the days since. Keith Hackett, who was not only a prominent referee in, in the old first division, but was then the head of referees for, for the Football Association for a number of years. Mark Helsey, who was a, a Premier League referee in, in the noughties, and, and Mark Lattenberg, who was obviously a Premier League referee more recently. And, and of the three of them, not a single one can justify the Manchester City penalty decision being overturned and given and the Arsenal decision on Martin Odegaard not being overturned and given. Now, I tend to come down on the Mark Clattenburg end of it, where I think both were 50-50 decisions. And I'm happy with it if the referee's not given either of them for both of them to stay on the field and the referee's decision to be upheld. I don't think either of them were so clear and obvious to use the phraseology that VAR needed to get involved personally. Um, now, Keith Hackett and Mark Halsey both took the opposite view and both said they're clear penalties and they should both be overturned. Um, but I haven't seen anybody prominent in the kind of refereeing uh, profession, in the in the uh, officiating profession, or even anyone neutral, really, in the sort of management and coaching profession, who's actually come up with a justification of why VAR did decide to overturn the Manchester City decision and didn't overturn the, the Arsenal one. It, it just seems completely unjustifiable to me. Um, not a complaint at all about the red card. Um, Gabriel was stupid. I think he said something to the referee in the light of the penalty. And then he clattered into Jesus making a challenge where if he just made the challenge, he'd have been fine. But he did this kind of aggressive bump afterwards that centre-halves seem to think they can do now because they're, they're all hard men, apparently. Um, and, and it was the second booking. I've got no complaints about that. He deserved to be sent off. Um, and then we, we were really unfortunate at the end of the game because Man City had resorted to just lumping it into the penalty area, really. And one of the lumps just sort of broke and bounced and ended up right at Rodri's foot and he, he put it in the bottom corner. Completely undeserved winner. Um, but but I think that, that inconsistency with VAR is extremely frustrating, particularly because when I looked at it in the game, I was thinking maybe the reason that... Because when the incident happened, the silver penalty happened, uh, the referee had a terrific view of it, Stuart Atwell. He was right on the spot. And not only did he do the kind of cross his arms, no penalty signal very, very clearly. He also gave Bernardo Silva the kind of get up signal, the universal signal for get up, you've dived. So for him to overturn that decision, when I watched it back on, on replay, I was thinking maybe he hasn't seen the little grab of the shirt that, that, that Jacques did. I don't think it was a shirt pull. I think he grabbed the shirt. I don't think he pulled him down by it. I think he grabbed it and then let go. But regardless, maybe... He's seen that on the video and thought, oh, I didn't quite see that in real time. That apparently was not the reason the decision was overturned. The reason the decision was overturned was because the VAR said he thought Xhaka had stepped across Silva's path. Well, the referee had already seen that. He was right on top of it. He'd seen the alleged step across and waved his arms and said no penalty. I think it's another of these cases, Dan, where it seems to me that the going over to a monitor isn't really going over to a monitor to look at it again. It's going over the, to the monitor to keep up appearances. I've only, <laughs> yeah. I, I can only remember one occasion and it was last season. And I think it was Mike Dean who went over to the monitor and then said, no, 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 I'm sticking with my original decision. 
There was one Andrea Mariner did did did, did one against in, for in in favour of Liverpool as well. It may it may have been Mariner. I'm thinking of them, Dan. It, oh no, Mike Dean definitely would would be the one to not change his mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I I feel like Stuart Atwell was so adamant when he saw that in real time. I can't imagine what he saw on the screen that really made him feel differently. And it feels to me as though it was just the fact he got someone in his ear saying, well, I think that's a penalty. And then he he feels like he has to give it. Now, we should remind ourselves with Stuart Atwell that this is a man who needs more than a monitor because he once gave a goal that went about three yards wide of the post. (laughs) (laughs) The the infamous Watford and Reading game a few years ago. So, you know, you have to bear that in mind. And I think yet again, my conclusion coming out of that game and some of the others at the weekend as well, not not least the Liverpool-Chelsea game on, on, on Sunday, was the problem has never been the video. The problem has never been that the game's too fast. The problem is that the people who are watching the video are the same people who were running around in the middle of the field and they're not very good. And the standard of refereeing in, in the Premier League is bad. It's bad compared to what we saw in the Euros in the summer. You know, I, I, how many complaints did we have about VAR decisions in the European Championship was the one I mean two like pretty much everyone thought VAR did a good job in the Euros it stayed out of the way it didn't get involved all the time it only overturned things that were very very clear um and we've suddenly got into this position in the Premier League where there seems to be no objective standard I mean if that little tug of the shirt from Xhaka is enough for a penalty for Manchester City Let's go back to when Arsenal lost at Old Trafford and Maguire rugby tackled Tommy Asu in the penalty area from a from a free kick. I mean, like you know, when he had both hands pulling on his shirt. So I just don't see any consistency in when it is and isn't being used at the moment. It seems completely random within games, between games, the same refs, different refs. Uh and the Prat who was on the um the VAR. <laughs> on Saturday afternoon uh, for the Arsenal game, was rewarded by being promoted to fourth official for the Crystal Palace-West Ham game that evening. I so, think that, um, was a, that was an injury, or, a, or Michael Oliver had to withdraw, didn't he? Well, well I, I mean, yeah, but maybe let's promote somebody who hasn't cocked up earlier in the same day. <laughs> I mean, oh, that... no, you, you, your point is completely valid, yeah. It's yeah. just that this guy's in stock, in stock, what's it called? Stock. Um, Stockton Park. And, and act, actually, before we move off it, Dan, because I realise I've been a bit ranty there, but um, <laughs> the Keith Hackett article that I read was really interesting, and he actually said is part of the problem and that they should take the referees out of Stockley Park and the VAR for each game should be sat in the stadium where the game's taking place. Now, I don't really can it. His view was that Sometimes the people in Stockley Park are looking at things in a very, very technical way and not thinking about the kind of atmosphere of the game. Um, I I sort of see that, but I'm not really sure whether that's an answer either. But I I thought it was an interesting point, given we're on the topic. It was, you know, Keith Hackett's a guy who's worth listening to on this sort of stuff. And I thought it was interesting that that was his suggestion for kind of improving the, the situation. Did Peter Walton, by any chance, defend the decisions? Because that's normally the way it works. So, so Peter Walton certainly defended the uh, the decision not to 
award the Arsenal penalty in the first half. He said he thought it was a, a 50-50 decision and therefore there was no clear and obvious mistake. To be honest, I pretty much agree with Peter Walton on that. I also thought there was no clear and obvious mistake on the Man City one. And he sort of said, hmm, well, you know, the referee might have seen something different when he went to the screen. Well, I mean, that's neither here nor there, is it, frankly? Uh, but he certainly did his Peter Walton piece of not criticising anybody. Apologies, Cam. I just wanted to, to make sure that my suspicions about Peter Walton were confirmed, which, of course, they have been. Always worth checking, Dan. No, no, it's absolutely fine. Um, no, all I was going to say is it's, I was surprised. I hadn't seen that article from um, from Keith Hackett, but I'm quite surprised from someone from a sort of refereeing background to advocate for it being in the crowd, because obviously that arguably could takes it away from it being completely objective. And I think that's what you were sort of getting at, Paul, that actually do you really want the person on the VAR to be influenced by the crowd? Because that's obviously something you can yeah. level at a referee on the pitch. So the whole yeah. point of having someone on the screen is that they don't have that distraction and they can just look at it objectively. See, so yeah, I'm not sure that's quite the right answer either. But um, but yeah, I think I think you're right that um, the going to the screen sort of just becomes a way now for the, the ref to align with the VAR decision and just gives them an opportunity to... Um, you know, basically say, oh yes, I've been I've been told by VAR that it's now is or isn't a penalty, and it just permits them in a way to to just do that. I don't know how much they're even looking at what they're seeing. It's like I'll just stand here for three seconds, nod my head, go back and blow me whistle. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I mean that is what it feels like, frankly. Yeah, um, but yeah, I don't don't have much to. Add. I mean, like you say, we 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 cover this every week or two, don't we? Really. <laughs> It's, uh, is, it, is it just me or did it feel like briefly at the start of the season off the back of the Euros that it did seem that we didn't have as much in it? Does it does it feel like it's regressed this season? I think definitely, Con. I think coming off the Euros, we learned from the stay out of the way and only really get involved when it's absolute, when it really genuinely is clear and obvious, when it's the kind of decision that everybody in the crowd looking at it on a screen would go, Okay, they've they've made a mistake there. Let's correct it. And I think gradually, as the season's gone on, and especially the last couple of months, we we seem to have crept back towards, um, in a really inconsistent way, that the way that we were using it last season, which is like, you know, this could have been given as a penalty, and therefore I think it should be a penalty, which I'm not sure is really what VAR's there for, to be honest. On penalty decisions particularly, I, I will say, I think they have, with the thicker lines and uh, trying to get away from those silly dotted line things, I think they have, I'm going to touch some wood now when I say this, <laughs> solved a little bit the problem we were having last season with the, the really, really tight offsides. Yeah, I yeah. think the, the offsides and, and the sort of handballs haven't... Uh haven't been as much of an issue because then we talked at the very start of the season on this podcast around some of the changes didn't we that they yeah. or some of the, the guidance or whatever they call it um and, and they they have gone away but yeah you're right there still seems to be um it's these... red cards and penalties isn't it mm. i think where we're having some of the sort of inconsistency yeah yeah uh in- interesting yeah um my kind of wheezed which is kind of in between um, which former Premier League idiot, sorry, referee said uh, have them in the stadium. I can't remember his name. Was it Matt Halsey? Uh, no, it was Keith Hackett. Who Keith Hackett getting them in the stadium. Yeah. Well, like I, I agree with what you're saying about you know we don't want the referees being influenced by a crowd. 
what I would like with it's a bit more difficult for the crowd at the match and that that's always been my concern as a match going fan VAR doesn't work for me but the vast majority of the audience is watching on TV that's just the way it is even Burnley against um, Brighton um, so with with that being said like what I like about Super League on BBC so it's Challenge Cup on BBC Rugby League the re- the video referee talks through his decisions so what I would like to see is the referee justifying what he's doing so let's take the Arsenal one the, the one that Man City were given let's just take that for me if the video referee Jared what's his name if he says right okay there's a, there's, for me there's a clear shirt pulled by Granite Xhaka I think that's a penalty I'm okay with that explanation because it has been explained to me but one thing that I, I think the big problem is Paul you, you've used the word apparently supposedly yeah. we're hearing these words apparently the video referee said this apparently VAR said that supposedly this is what happened there's no transparency so I want to have I want to hear this discussion I want the referee to say, okay, that is a close one. Edison may have played the ball, but it's happened quickly. I understand why you've not given a penalty. Therefore, I think that decision is to stay on field. I've got no concerns. Restart the match with a corner. Yeah, I I think also as part of that conversation, the the hearing what Stuart Atwell says back or what the on-field referee says back, uh, because I think, would be would be really really interesting, especially if they are going to go and look at the screen, because you'd want to know what changed Stuart Atwell's mind when he looked at the screen. It, they always feel very sheepish because he was he was like you rarely see a referee so adamant that that something's not a penalty. If you know if anyone hasn't seen it, his body language, the camera cuts straight to him when it's when the incident happens, and he gives it the big crossed arms no in a big flamboyant gesture, and then he gives uh, Bernardo Silva the the kind of flappy hand, the get up off the floor hand um, <laughs> that we all recognise as a referee's for no good reason there. And regardless of whether there was a foul, and I think there probably was a foul. I'm not denying that. There probably was a foul. There wasn't a clear and obvious mistake to me. Um, uh, Despite the fact that there was some contact from from Xhaka, uh, Bernardo Silva definitely flung himself to the floor. There's no question about that. He could have stayed on his feet if he wanted to. He had no interest in doing so. Yeah, completely. And and I think as well, um, I think a lot of the... The VAR problems are caused by the players being dishonest. It, it's very difficult to referee a game when you've got players flinging themselves to the floor. And I'm not, uh, I, I forget who was potentially brought down uh, for Arsenal, but you know, I'm not saying that was a die because it wasn't. There is definitely elements of simulation for, for Bernardo Silva, unquestionably. Was there enough for a penalty? penalty I, I thought they were both penalties personally. Um, and I know you said that you didn't think there was a shirt pull. For me, if you've got hold of someone, because I hate it, I absolutely hate it, it's a penalty, because it's a pet hate of mine. So I would have given that, but I would also have given the first one. So it cancels, it's, it, it cancels and, and the other mean, And I, I, I also say, Dan, be absolutely clear, if, if Stuart Atwell has not given the Arsenal penalty on the field, 
and does give the Manchester City penalty on the field, I don't have a pro- I don't have a problem because because it it could I can see why it's a penalty. Yeah. What what my what my contention is is that nobody that I've seen interviewed certainly from the, of of the respective former referees I've mentioned could see them sufficiently difference in level for VAR to intervene on one and not intervene on the other. If the Arsenal one's not given on the field and VAR doesn't intervene, and the Man City one is given on the field and VAR doesn't intervene, I haven't got a VAR-related problem because I think they've been entirely consistent. Um, It's the fact that on two decisions that were both kind of 50-50 decisions, they've got involved in one and and stayed out of the other. And that's, that's, I think, what frustrates fans. You know, it's Arsenal this week, but we, we've talked about it with Liverpool and Spurs, didn't we, a few weeks ago? It, it, you know, this is not the first time this season we've seen this kind of inconsistency, even within the same game. Yeah, and that's exactly it. You're quite right. I don't know how we're going to kind of ever fix it for the match going fan, but um, we, we, we kind of cross that bid when we come to it don't we I don't think there's been a, a, any it's just the, the lack of transparency that gets me as a as a as a football fan never mind match going or otherwise as a football fan I'm just like tell me why you've seen what you think you've seen and I might sympathize with you or go oh well actually that's a really good point I mean with this current crop of referees it's unlikely that Stuart Atwell is going to enlighten me in the game of football I, I don't think I've got anything that I can learn off Stuart Atwell apart from how to not officiate a game of football um but it's good to see that Klatz is getting brand Klatz out there with his uh with his piece he, he, he never goes missing when there's an opinion to be had no, I think uh, I, I can't remember which paper which the the three were in, but um, it's a bit of a boom industry because of VAR now. Being a former referee who writes a column on a Monday morning, it's uh, it's a market that never really existed before. We just used to have to um, we just used to have to deal with Jeff the ref, didn't we? And <laughs> yeah. With Jeff Winter. <laughs> I'm sure Mr. Bennett's um, article about refereeing will end up in the Beano or the Dandy at some point. Because that's about all of his, of his, his opinions are worth. Steve Bennett's call, blimey. Oh, he was a favourite of your Paul's, if I remember. From the, <laughs> he, uh, the, he the United Arsenal days he, of the, he, the early, early mid-noughties. He was the ref of the, the Van Nistelrooy missed penalty game, yeah. Mm. Uh, he, um, he did enjoy sending off Patrick Vieira. <laughs> it was it was so much that I think it was listed as one of his pastimes. Or <laughs> I, I think um, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, my hit lift is longer than my arm with, with referees, as, as you all know. I'm struggling to think. I, I think, and it's 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 as much for grounds that I don't really go that want to go down. But Howard Webb, yeah, I he should I, never I, have been allowed to referee the Liverpool games. That's all I'll say. I I think personally, you know, I try not to kind of be the person who's always saying the referee got this wrong, the referee got that wrong. It's really rare for me to feel so irate about a, a kind of officiating of a game as as I was after that game on Saturday. And I, as I say, I don't blame you to all on Stuart Atwell. That, that it's it's really the in, intervention of VAR, but I do think Atwell could have been stronger on the on the overturned penalty and just say, I saw no. that. I saw that. You're telling me to look at the thing I've already seen and said no to. Um, but there we are. I think we've probably beaten that horse to, to death. At we least have. this week, anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, it'll be in New instant. Well, it's the FA Cup next week, so we'll probably be okay because the vast majority of games will have it. But, um, 
yeah. Um, I, it's the angriest I've known you be with a referee, apart from your characters uh, uh, the, when, when you was managing. Uh, I've seen you get a bit angrier <laughs> about about some of the, refer- the referees on that indication. Yeah, not, that's uh, true. I've, I've not known you be this angry about a refereeing performance probably ever. I've seen you get angry at, at Arsenal players. I've seen you get angry at opposition players and managers and, and what have you, but I've never seen you get that angry at a referee, I don't think. And obviously I didn't see you as conveyed by a text, so you must have been really, really somewhat ticked off. Um, whilst we're on the topic, um, we've mentioned you mentioned the word title race. We don't have one anymore. Man City are champions. It's just a case of when, not if. Uh, the gap between them and Chelsea is 10 and then back to us is 11. Um, I think pretty much, I, I mean, I, I still think the gap will be shorter because inevitably when, when it's, it's impossible for City to keep up the run. Uh, they, they will drop points eventually. Um, but of course, when you have moments in the title race and Rodri getting a, a very undeserved goal and then the, the I, I should have put every penny I had on it on Chelsea and Liverpool being a draw because that's just what's happening for City this season. I'm not saying they're lucky. I'm saying they've got the best squad which they should have with all the money they've spent. Um, you know, it, they're a very good team, but everything's fallen into place for them again. Yeah, they had all the breaks this weekend. Definitely, not only in their own game, but but in the in the Chelsea um, Liverpool game being a draw. I thought that game, by the way for 65 minutes was absolutely fantastic. I, I think it kind of fizzled out a bit at the end, which was just because both teams had poured so much into that first hour. Um, it was end-to-end. It was, I, I get from your perspective, Dan, it was probably too open and too end-to-end. Far but, too open and far too end-to-end. Yeah, but as a neutral, like, it was just a fantastic watch for the first hour, 65 minutes. Both teams just held for leather, 100 mile an hour, but but not without losing, you know, didn't lose the quality for the tempo, which can sometimes happen. You have a game that's a great tempo, but it's because everyone's making loads of mistakes. I thought it was terrific game of football. Um, really, really watchable as neutral. Uh, Chelsea did really well to clamber back into it, having been 2-0 down. Um, but yeah, that that draw only really helped Manchester City, unfortunately. And I, that, that was the point I was going to come to earlier, was when we were talking about covid even that's gone for Manchester City. The, both Chelsea and Liverpool, they're probably two of the, the more affected sides over the last few weeks in, in terms of COVID absences at different times. Um, and Manchester City, again, would touch, because I'm not, I'm not wishing on them a kind of bout of COVID absences. I wouldn't wish that on any team. But um, it does feel like Liverpool and, and Chelsea just kind of haven't quite been able to keep up their momentum because they've had these players coming in and out with, with different COVID absences. And it's, it's just allowed city to march on sort of, you know, unabated really. And, and it does look now like a foregone conclusion to me. I, I can't see it. If Manchester city drop 11 points from here, that would shock me. But if, if, if Manchester city drop 11 points from here, and Chelsea or Liverpool are perfect from here. That would be even more shocking. You know, I just, I, I think it's too big a gap to a team that we know from previous years. They don't blink when they're in front, do they, Manchester City? They just go on and on and on. They're relentless. Um, I expect them to, to keep this run going through through January and and try and put the title as close to, to bed as it possibly can be before 
Europe kicks in and they have another another go at trying to win the Champions League. Because that's what they want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I mean, think that I think they will not take their foot off the gas now because they want to they want to be able to relax a little bit in the league in March and April when the the Champions League is their is their priority. Yeah, I was going to say I feel like that that is their their strategy now each season, right? Where they just sort of blitz, you know, November, December, January, rack up the points in between the sort of you know secure the Champions League group, blitz November, December, Jan, and then focus their attention on the knockout rounds where they can afford if they do lose a game or two in the league you know so be it you know they've already proved that they can win a league with 100 points or whatever they don't need to worry about chasing that kind of record anymore they've done that um and obviously as you said what what they really want is is the champions league um so yeah they, and they set themselves up you know even because if you remember last season they had a very poor start and they had to sort of almost come from behind whereas this year they've just come out the blocks and maintained it and when other teams have dropped off they just haven't um, and yeah, I think it's only been twice where there's been a lead this high. Um, and, and but you know, I think City did it a couple of years ago, and I think United in the '90s. So I don't see how this City side throws away that that lead. Um, no. because, as you said, we've seen them do it before. That that squad just they know they know how to. It's almost not so much game management to season management, right? Yeah. And they they know exactly how to do it. I think it's a good point about the sort of momentum of their season because they got off to a really slow start last year. Even this year, to be honest, the first six weeks, they, they did drop some points and they weren't absolutely flying. And, and when I think back to Pep's first couple of years in the Premier League, Man City would fly out of the blocks and win, like, win their first eight or nine games and you'd think, my God, they're away already. I wonder if he's changed something a little bit so that they're not quite fully wound up on the on the first day of the season in the middle of August but they as you've said Con they really seem the last few years to hit their stride in this November December January period when they really the meat of the season they just seem to go into another gear when the games are coming thick and fast and and you can just put distance into into teams really quickly if you peak in that period yeah, well, like I say, I think it, it is happening, and I think he's perhaps done it because of what we were saying before about them. Obviously, the Champions League is now the prize. So maybe before, when the league was the priority, it was get as many points as you can, score yeah. as many goals as you can. Um, but now that they've done that, you know, however many, four, five, six <laughs> times, and, and, and obviously the, the focus is, is, you know, the Champions League's the holy grail for them. That, that you know, he probably has done that for, for that reason, that it's, uh, yeah, don't, don't waste your energy in August, September, because nothing's won then. Um, conserve, blitz the league in the winter, and then, you know, try and dominate Europe in the spring. Which is a slightly depressing for the rest of us because it sounds very cold and calculated approach, but unfortunately, um, it does work for them. And, you know, as Dan pointed out, you know, they've got the, the sort of endless resources or essentially endless resources as well to keep maintaining it. And it worked for them last year. I mean, that, that last season, that slow start, blitz the league in the middle... They got as far as they've ever gotten the Champions League in the in the springtime because they were able to sort of um, not take it easy in the Premier League. That wouldn't be the right phrase, but rotate a little bit more and manage their squad a bit a bit better compared to you know a couple of years ago. Thinking pre-COVID when they had that really sort of nip and tuck title race that they came out on top with Liverpool, um, when kind of every game all the way through the springtime in the league was must win, must win, must win. And and maybe that, that had an impact 
on their sort of European fortunes, you definitely feel that. So they've sort of recalibrated a little bit and made sure that when they get to those quarterfinals and semifinals of the Champions League, they're, they're ready to go. Personally, I mean, we weren't going to talk about the Champions League in this podcast, but while we mention it, um, I just... I, Personally, I, I think one of the three English teams, uh, I think they are the three best teams in Europe at the moment. Maybe Bayern Munich you'd throw in there as well. But I think Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City have all got a fantastic chance in the Champions League. Uh, it wouldn't, again, the draw and whatever else, but it wouldn't surprise me if the last four of those three in Bayern Munich, um, they look to me ahead of the rest, frankly. You've not mentioned United there, Paul. <laughs> No comment. <laughs> uh, what, what one thing I, I, I want to, to mention about, about about this is, and it's, it's going to come across very difficult to to. Uh, it's, it's difficult for me to not sound bitter, but you can't afford a bad run now. Liverpool have had three of the hardest away games on the spin. We should have had Leeds at home on Boxing Day, which would have been a cakewalk with their injuries. But it is where it is. We've been away to Spurs, away to Leicester away to Chelsea on the spin and we've come out of it with um two points out of nine. Um that is terminal in this era we live in where City will run run up ten, fifteen wins in a row. It it's really difficult for anyone else to win the league because you know like every team has a bad run and City's start of the season was not great. And yet I can point at results we've had this season where you know we, we've not defended well. We didn't defend our lead well um, at Brentford. We lost a two-goal lead at home to Brighton. Um, we lost a lead at Tottenham. We lost a lead at Chelsea. You know like that that is straight away. Well, there's your gap. But what I'm getting at is we're actually having a very good season, and in any other time of football, it would be us and Chelsea probably the top two. And we'd be having this really tight nip, nip and tuck battle, but um, winning the league is practically impossible because every team has a bad run. You are going to have a result where you where, like where you play the way we did at Leicester. We have a bad result. We deserve to lose. That was suddenly a six point gap, which became nine, which became eleven, and, it, and it's over. Yeah, I think that's right, Dan. I think it's very difficult when you've got a team like Manchester City, the, the sort of relentless way they play. Um, and and this run that they're on, it, it, it any slip up, you know, any slip up hurts. And I think Liverpool will look back at those games that you've mentioned earlier in the season, particularly Brighton and Brentford, and think, well, you know, even if you've just got those four points, that means the gap to Manchester City seven, and you've still got them to play. Now, okay, you've you know you've got to go to to um, the Etihad to play them, but. If it's seven points and you've still got them once, you can you can kind of talk yourself into still being in the race, can't you? And um, you know, Chelsea away, Tottenham away, they're always going to be difficult games, but Liverpool will feel, I think, that they've probably thrown away points from from leading positions that they'd like to have now. The the Tottenham one particularly, because it was so uncharacteristic the mistake Allison made for the equaliser. Um and that that's the kind of mistake that kills you because Liverpool work their, their socks off to get in, in front in that game. Um, but there we are. It, it is what it is. I, th- I think it is over. I think Manchester City are over the hill and far away. It will be interesting to see how Chelsea and Liverpool now approach it. Do they kind of just consolidate that their sort of top four spot and then turn their attentions to the Champions League in, in March and April as well? Or, 
or do they sort of, you know, keep treating the Premier League as the absolute priority? It'll, it's going to be really interesting to see how where we are now affects the three teams as as we look to the sort of tail end of the season. And yeah, I mean that's a really good point actually, Paul. Because yeah, we were talking about you know City's strategy, but yeah, you're right. They, they those Chelsea and Liverpool will, will be looking now. At, yeah, well, what does this mean for us, and how do we approach second half of the season? Um, I mean, it, is it fair to say? I mean, Liverpool still have a game on City, don't they? Um, you've played one less. I mean, that theoretically, that would what take it to eight points. I mean, do you? I, I know you just spoke, Dan, but I mean, it is. You know, of the two, do we think it's more likely to be Liverpool now, um, or is, is is there not much difference? I, I just feel that I I think it's more likely to be Liverpool because I think they're a better team than Chelsea. Yeah, I I I don't know, but I like the way this is going. Calm. We've got a game. In, <laughs> we've got a game in hand, so let's cut that gap to eight. We have to, we have to go to the Etihad. Let's cut that gap to five. <laughs> yeah. Chelsea and, play Man City next. Let's cut that. Gap. <laughs> I like where this is going. Let's keep this up. If we keep this positivity, Dan, you'll be four points clear within uh, within five minutes. Um, <laughs> if we keep I, this positivity up, people will think I've had a personality transplant. Yeah, no, I I think my personal view is I think Liverpool um, are more well-rounded. I think some of the issues that I sort of talked about when we did our pre-season preview with Chelsea, me just being a bit worried about the balance up front and whether they were going to score enough goals and whether they create enough clear chances. I think we've seen that in recent weeks with them and there've been the issues with Lukaku. And <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> that. That doesn't help, obviously. But I feel like Chelsea are a very organised, very structured team. I don't think they create huge numbers of, of great opportunities. We know when Liverpool are right at it they create opportunities because they just smother you with that pressing game and force you into mistakes and then they punish you. Um, and I think if somebody is going to come out uh, out and challenge City, I, I think it would be Liverpool. I just, they'd have to be almost perfect. And we're not going to be perfect. We, we are going to drop more points. It's as simple as that. It's just football. It's just, we are not the machine we were a couple of seasons ago. Um, we're better than last season as well, but we are not Manchester City who have, um, put, it, put it this way, if they were to play a game without um, three players like we had to, we, we without Alisson, um, Matip and Firmino, Man City, you wouldn't really notice that. You would just think that Guardiola was rotating. We're, with, us, with us, it's noticeable. We called out the fact that Liverpool's squad wasn't strong enough in August. So yeah. it, 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 this is no real surprise to me. I was not expecting to win the league. However, I do think we should have made a better fist of it. And I think we're asking for trouble um, with our players going to AFCON. And, and I think ultimately that's what has caused us to formally, I can ad- advise you both formally that um, we've requested that the game on Thursday be postponed. Yeah, I've seen that pop up in the time we've been talking. And in the time we've been talking, Ainsley Maitland-Niles is off to Rome by the looks of it as well. Yeah, which is interesting. I, I, again, I don't want to turn this into the Arsenal podcast, but uh, Alneni and Party obviously go off to the African Nations Cup as well, which which leave Arsenal down to Xhaka and Lukonga as their central midfield options, which too doesn't feel like enough given the, the number of games in January with League Cup, semi-final, FA Cup, etc. Um, there was a rumour yesterday, and it was only a rumour, um, that Arsenal were interested in taking Wijnaldum on loan from PSG for the rest of the season. Now, um, 
there may be absolutely nothing in that. It was the sort of thing that goes around Twitter for an hour and then seems to disappear. But I would be absolutely ecstatic if we got Wijnaldum for the rest of the season. In fact, I think I might even make us the favourites to grab fourth if that happened. I would be absolutely devastated because I absolutely love Wijnaldum. He's a great player. And, and I can say with a degree of authority, and I'm sure you'll both agree with me, he should have stayed at Liverpool. Yeah, he should. Yeah. Well, he shouldn't have moved to PSG. Yeah, um, yeah if, if he wanted to play, which is clearly and and you know in, in his peak years and has so much to offer, it was just a a bad choice. Whether whether you know, yes, I'm sure as a Liverpool fan, you would say he should have stayed because you could have definitely used him this season to give you some energy in midfield. But I think yeah, he just he just chose the wrong club to move on to, and whether that's just because they weighed the number of pound signs at him that well, was, I was just, just too say... much to ignore. I suspect it probably was, but he's he's already come out publicly at least once, hasn't he? And sort of indicated that he he sort of knows he made. Probably, probably. The, I'm sure I saw something a while back where he was, you know, or, or leaked that he was unhappy or whatever because he, he's just not really getting the game time, is he? And, he's been linked with go, he's been linked with going back to Newcastle as well. Albeit, I think he might think that's a poison chalice given where they are. <laughs> from yeah. from one club waving po- pound, dodgy pound signs at you to <laughs> to another. I'd, yeah, maybe maybe prefer PSG to Newcastle. To be fair. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's still coming out with more than three hundred quid and a copy of Girly World a, a month, which is probably what we offered. Yeah, um, yeah. But, bad but, mistake to let him go. Bad mis- bad decision for him to go to the, go there. Yeah, um, you've just touched on something I was going to mention while we're still while while we're rearranging the Premier League table at our leisure. Um, <laughs> talking about Chelsea and Liverpool, potentially also focusing on the Champions League, and I, I, I'm going to you know mention the games in hand again, but also you know does that then leave them potentially looking over their shoulders? Um, because all you know, we talked about first, second, and third before Christmas being away with the fairies, and half they were in their own group. All of a sudden, the picture looks quite different now um, because of the points Chelsea and Liverpool have dropped. You know, Arsenal, West Ham, and Tottenham. Um, I'm going to cut off after that. Um, <laughs> you know, aren't, aren't that far behind and have you know? I mean, Spurs, Spurs are, are ten points behind Chelsea. And they've got three games in hand, um, and and you know, I know it's Tottenham and whatever, but I'm I don't know what you thought, of, but does it does it all of a sudden? change that picture of well it's a fight for fourth and that's it or do you think that actually if you know if if, if Chelsea and Liverpool can sort of concede the league so to speak does that open up it to be more a uh, you know actually second third and fourth could could be up for grabs uh, you know I'd still back I'm sure most people would back you know Chelsea and Liverpool in some order to finish second or third but I don't know if you think that's something that we could see happen um, I mean that that was sort of what I was alluding to when I said it, it's interesting how they play because they're not they're not so far ahead that there are sort of that they are over the hill and far away as it were. Um, you know I think Liverpool are seven points clear of Arsenal on the same games. Uh, they're they're what nine points ahead of Spurs. Spurs have got two in hand. Chelsea are, uh, are eight points ahead of Arsenal. Arsenal have one in hand. As you've said, Calm, the ten points ahead of Spurs, but Spurs have three in hand. So. Um, you know, and West Ham are in there in between as well. One point fewer than Arsenal, same games as Arsenal. So it's not completely done. Um, and if they did just take their eye off the ball a little bit, I think they could be vulnerable. Again, uh, you know, this isn't me having a go at Chelsea and, oh, an Arsenal fan hates Chelsea. It's not that at all. But I think Chelsea would be the more vulnerable because their home form recently has been awful. I think it's like one win from their last six at home in the Premier League, which which is not good enough for Chelsea. That um, They've drawn a lot of home games, dropped a lot of points at home. I think the one game they did win in that run, they beat Leeds with like a penalty two or three minutes from the end of the game. And a few days later, Arsenal went to um, Allen Road and 
bashed Leeds, I think, was it 5-1 in the end? So, um, I think Chelsea possibly are a little bit vulnerable because if they can't sort out the home form, I know they've been decent on the road, but it puts a lot of pressure on you every time you go away from home if you're not winning at home. Uh, and they've obviously played the game more. So maybe maybe, maybe there is a certain vulnerability there. I, I would be surprised if Liverpool and Chelsea don't finish second and third in some order. And I still think it will ultimately be one of... Um, Arsenal, Spurs, and possibly Manchester United will be. They they need to sort their act out that sneaks into fourth. Um, but 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 they can't take their eye off the ball because Arsenal are playing well at the moment. Conte's made a good impact at Spurs. I know he's played a lot of home games. I think uh, they've only been away from home three times, and in the the last two away performances, draw at Southampton against ten men needed the ninety ninth minute to beat Watford the other day one 0 So. There is a bit of a test to come for Spurs because I think they've got a lot of away games left this season. Um, even though they've got, I mean, they've got a lot of games left, right? Because they've only played 18, but they've they've got a lot of away games left. Uh, it, it will be interesting to see. Liverpool and Chelsea can't completely take their eye off the Premier League, but it, it is a it is just a point if they if they get to that crunch stage in the Champions League and they say, right, we're going to put all our energy into that competition. They'd only have to lose a couple in the in the league to be sort of feeling a bit nervous, which is what happened to Liverpool last year, and then they they bounced right back. I know there were injuries that affected that, but uh, it, you know it, it is something just to be a little bit wary of. I think Burnley have only played five games. Yeah, Burnley will still be playing uh, during the World Cup next year to finish this season. <laughs> uh, well, this year now to finish this season off. Uh, Burnley will be fitting there because they won't have any players at the World Cup. So Burnley will still be fitting games in. Um, yeah, they, I think they've played 17. That's the fewest in the in the Premier League. When does the Intertoto start qualifying? <laughs> Burnley makes up a few games to fit in before then. That that used to always be the start of the season to me, the Intertoto. Yeah, it used to start in about June. <laughs> yes, it did, yeah. Um, I, I would just say finally on that, that the other point with Chelsea and Liverpool compared to the rest is the goal difference. Like the top three positive goal differences, 40 for Man City, 29 for Chelsea, 34 for Liverpool. West Ham have got the fourth best goal difference in the league at plus 10. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that, that's City's... worth a couple of points, isn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> Man City's goal difference was quite average until they got the, the hands on leads. <laughs> yeah, that didn't help anybody. <laughs> Yeah, um, normally we'd we'd go through a quick a run of the um, the football league, but there's nothing to talk about because it's not been any any games hardly. Um, so quickly, Cam, um, how how's it looking under Ragnit? Poor defeat to Wolves. United were well second best yesterday, but generally, do you think there's been an improvement, or are you quite sceptical about what you've seen from the uh, the wish clop, as some one of my friends calls him? <laughs> yeah, I've I've seen that meme. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, look, the, the the honeymoon, such as it is, is is, is over. That's fine. Um, yeah, it was a poor performance yesterday. Um, a lot of issues seem to remain in terms of, yeah, players not necessarily knowing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, I know some of that might be because they don't quite understand how he's trying to play, but I think some of it is also a bit of a hangover from, you know, from, from the Solskjaer era. I think there still are questions rightly being asked around their sort of attitude as well. Um, as part of that, uh, you know, ultimately he's only been there a few games, so I'm not, uh, I'm not pressing panic buttons. I'm, I'm keen to see what what he can do. Um, he seems an intelligent guy who knows his stuff. 
Um, I think what you may need to look at is not being quite so rigid to some of his methods in the short term, given he's only got the manager job till the end of the season. And with the players we've got, he may need to make a bit of a compromise because I think he's come in very much with, you know, this is this is how I play, um, which is fair enough. He's entitled to do that, right? Everyone knew what 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 his background was before he was hired, and and you know that's I'm not sort of that's not his fault. That's his right as manager. Um, but I think maybe given that at, at the moment he's only in the manager's chair for for a, a you know what five months at the most, um, you know maybe just needs to think. All right, what how's the best way to just get the best out of these players because I'm not bringing realistic. He's not really bringing anyone in. He's not going to be making wholesale changes to the squad. Um, so I think probably that, that defeat maybe means a bit of a back to the, back to the drawing board with his, with his army of coaches that seems to be growing by the week and his data analysts and goodness knows who else his T boys that he's hired. Um, and maybe just think about, okay, right. We've got a job now that the, the, the task is surely try and finish fourth. Um, and you know and focus the efforts on that and, and and don't maybe don't focus as much on maybe wait till he's in his upstairs role to start to think about the ideological side of things because i think when you're an interim manager i, I don't see the point in in focusing on that too much um i, I think that's a really good point con i, I think we, we've talked before haven't we in this podcast about you know in in modern football the way it works is managers come in and they don't look at squads and say what have I got how can I get these players to win they come in and they say this is the way I play and I'm going to get the players over time to make it work and then that's it I've got a philosophy my philosophy is 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 the priority and then I'll find the players to, to kind of get there. And we've seen that, you know, as Arsenal, we've seen it with previous managers at Chelsea. There's always the question, whether you get enough time to do it, etc. But it does feel like the job Ragnick's been asked to do is a bit different than that. Um, you know, I, Ragnick is not there to create a style of play for Manchester United to use as a template for the next four or five seasons. Apparently, See, I think part of the problem here is that in Ragnick's head, he is. I don't think in his head, he is upstairs next season. Yeah, that's what I was going to come on to. It is is basically, yeah, or, or or does he does he have one eye on on the? Um, I mean, he said it as much job. in his opening yeah. press. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, on the job uh, for a longer tenure. I mean, he said as much in his in his opening yeah. press conference as well. So yeah, maybe part of him is thinking, you know, I've got a good opportunity to have a, a decent stint as, as as Man United manager and sort of imprint my way of thinking on one of the you know the biggest sort of get you know clubs in football. So maybe he is maybe he is thinking of that because you know we, those kind of opportunities don't come along too often. But yeah, on paper that's not his brief. So no. based on what he should be doing, is it how can we get this group of players to finish fourth? Um, I mean, they did they did change at half time yesterday. They had to try and match Wolves up a little bit more in the second half. So he didn't kind of completely rigidly just stick to the the four two 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 thing. Um, I'm not sure that looks very comfortable at the moment for them. Mason Greenwood, maybe Benny Thing, he's not a kind of old fashioned inside right, um, and, and he looked a bit fish out of water playing there. And I know the Man United fans were frustrated when he came off, and, yeah. and I understand why because he's one of their most exciting young players, and they, they needed a goal. He's probably the best finisher at the club outside of Ronaldo. Um, you know, be close between him and Cavani, I think, but but he's an excellent finisher. They needed a goal, uh, but he was playing in a slightly clunky position, and and. Yeah, I, it's difficult to know. I, 
I did think when Ragnick said that in his press conference, he basically said I might do a Kenny Dalglish, which is um, get asked at the end of the season, who do I think the manager should be? Go away and think about it for a bit and come back and answer me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, it is interesting because his brief at the moment is to try and finish fourth. And I think he said after the game last night, if anybody says they certain will finish fourth after that performance, then basically they're lying. Um they they need to find a bit of something. They just don't quite look cohesive to me. Um, yeah, they... I, I, and we were talking about it by text this morning, combat. To me, like, the most balanced I've seen Manchester United look in the last few weeks was, was when Carrick was caretaker manager. And it was almost as though he just... Because he knew he wasn't there for very long. He was just like, right, I'm going to pick a proper formation with players in their proper positions keep it nice and simple and just say, go on to the pitch and perform. And, and it kind of worked for three games, right? I know, mm. you know, probably a little bit fortunate to be Arsenal, might have been a little bit fortunate to be Villarreal, but they got three excellent results. Um, and now when I look at Ragnik trying to fit the players into this system, you know, Bruno's play- played wide on the, I say wide on the left, it's not really wide, is it this sort of inside left position? He's had Rashford playing inside right. He's had Greenwood playing inside right. He's had Sancho playing up front. He's had Sancho playing in that inside left channel. It, you know, yeah, it, it just doesn't quite look as though he really knows what to do. I'm not convinced you can play Ronaldo and Cavani as a front two, personally. I don't think you get enough energy uh, and channel running from them two to play as a two. And also pressing when, when they lose the ball. I just... They've both great, been great, great players. Uh, I think it's one or the other, to be honest. I've been rearranging the league table, Cam. Are you going to rearrange the fixtures and try and play Norwich next? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe a, a few times if we could. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. You know, we, we said a few few weeks ago that, you know, he's got as good a run as you could ever hope for, um, you know, in terms of uh, teams... Um, to play against, you know, we, we, so yeah, we, we do need to start to, uh, to get some, get some consistency in a, you know, a consistent way of playing. Um, I think there is a bit of responsibility on some of the players as well. Um, you know, I get that some of them might be asked to play roles I don't fully understand, but they're still professional footballers on a football pitch. And I think there's been attitude questions around this squad all season that don't seem to have gone yeah. away. Um, yeah. that I didn't lay at Solskjaer's door either. You know, I laid that at the no. player's door then and I lay it at their door now as well. Um, so I think there's that seems to still be, be bubbling a little bit um, and I'm not quite sure how that gets resolved, to be quite honest with you. And the players talked the talk, didn't they, with Solskjaer, both when he was there and, you know, at the end of that Watford game when Bruno's pointing at himself and basically saying to the fans, don't blame the manager, blame us and, and all that sort of stuff. They've talked the talk, but they haven't, visibly walk the walk yet to show that they're doing anything about it um and it does still feel i mean luke shaw said it last night didn't he after the game luke shaw basically said i didn't feel as though we were very unified mm. um now that's not really what you want to hear from from a member of the squad uh but you're right about the fixtures the next two are really interesting because they play villa away and, and next two league games i think they play villa twice and because they play them in the cup as well yeah but they play villa away and then west ham at home um you know, Villa are one of those teams that are in that solid mid-table group. You know, done all right since Gerrard's been there. West Ham are obviously in that group of teams chasing 
that fourth spot as well. Davy Moyes going back to Old Trafford. There's that storyline to throw in. And they are as this season as well. And indeed, and they they're kind of they feel like you know Wolves, Villa, West Ham. That feels like the sort of teams that are always going to give the good sides a difficult game. But that if you are going to really establish yourself as as a team that can finish in the top four, you've got to be beating them really. Yeah. Um, you know, or at least winning two of those three games. So it will be a a bit of a kind of litmus test, I think, for for where Ragnik's at. Because after that, I know that there's a, a little bit of a kind of easier run then, but 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 the March period, I think they play City, Tottenham, they play their Champions League game in there, they play Liverpool, they play Leicester. I know Leicester aren't having a great season. I think they play Arsenal early in April. So that March-April period is not going to be a time when Man United can make up ground. With the you know, with all due respect, they need to be in and among that fourth spot uh when they get into that period over march and april because if they're not it's difficult to see them making up ground when they're playing all the top teams because man united's record even with solskjaer with Mourinho, with Moyes, with basically everyone since sir alex their record against the other big sides has not been great the last few years no exactly um or against many sides really but yeah <laughs> um but yeah i mean i think you know you look at it and yeah the sort of you know I say the honeymoon's over, but I mean, arguably that, that draw to Newcastle was, was a, a warning sign that it was, uh, you know, you're on the flight home because, you know, that was that was poor against a really poor, we made a really poor team look good. Um, I know they've been starting to improve a bit under under Howe, but this still where they are in the table for a good reason. Um, and yeah, like you say, that, that, that run all of a sudden, we're sort of halfway through it now and we haven't, we've dropped quite a few points. And then, yeah, like you say, it swings round to, um, yeah, City, Tottenham, Liverpool, Leicester, Everton. All of a sudden, you know, these are going to be really huge, tough games. um, And we need to have, you know, all the problems that we've got at the moment need to be resolved to some extent or another. Because we will just get embarrassed again against those teams like we did at the end of Solskjaer's reign if if we don't sort of turn things around. So, yeah, it's going to be a... Buckling up for an interesting second half of the season, I think. But um, yeah, equally, try not to sort of, you know, hit the panic button too much as often happens when, you know, we, you know what it's like when any of our teams lose a game. It's end of game yeah. stuff. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not Absolutely. sort of... And it, it's far too easy to, you know, kind of write Ragnik off straight away as a, this is a failure and that's a failure. And he's... This time of year, you don't get as much time on the training field because you're playing every three days. So that that plays a part as well he's still finding things out about the players I, I still don't think he would be able to give you an honest answer as to what he thinks his best 11 is you know I think he's probably worked out by now you can't have all three of Sancho Greenwood and Rashford in the same team but working out whether you can have two of them and if you can which two and how you fit that into a system all of that is still very much kind of a bit of a work in progress the next couple of weeks will be big because if they can get results in those those next couple of games against Villa and, and West Ham then that you know they have another little easy run after that or easier run where they played in Burnley and I think Leeds in there as well who are having a poor season that would kick them into that period that they have coming up in March and, and April in a bit of form and, and I think they not only need to have points on the board before that period, but they need to have a bit more of a settled identity before that period. And if they do, um, you know, there's no doubt in my mind Manchester United have still got enough quality to finish in the top four. Um, 
is just whether they can kind of put it all together given everything that's that's sort of gone on this season and it you know it just feels like sort of one step forward one step back at the moment and and last night you know wolves as you said at the start down wolves deserved to win that game it wasn't wasn't a smash and grab by any means even though the goal didn't come till till near the end I think Wolves have had more shots on target in that game than they have for the last six weeks. <laughs> well, they haven't played much in the last six weeks, well, then, because they, they, they kept they, having games uh, postponed. They haven't, but they, they, they're not exactly fond of scoring, are they? And a, a habit I can get behind, they're not very fond of conceding either. No, no, they, I mean, that they've gone back to kind of being the Wolves we remember from a couple of years ago, right, under, under Nuno, where they weren't the most... Uh, exciting team to watch but they were really really solid and and they they were last night really solid um Moutinho scored a, a nice goal in the end I think he's about 63 now Moutinho so he's probably got a couple <laughs> more years in him um and and they yeah they really deserve the win I mean they celebrated it a little bit like they'd won the world cup I did think sort of you know on their knees with their arms in the air in the middle of the pitch was a bit much but uh you know um Fair play to him. It was a really good result and a, I, and a performance to match. I would normally agree, but I think I'll make an exception and on the centre circle at Old Trafford, just like I'd make an exception for managers going sliding on the knees. <laughs> in the, even that manager. That was, that was before his heel turn, though. Um, <laughs> right, well, I, I think unless there's anything else um, that, that we want to talk about, I think we've covered our kind of um, loose agenda. No, as, as you say, Dan, nothing really from the Football League. There's not been a lot of games. Again, uh, we talked about earlier the the kind of number of games that teams have played in each of the three Football Leagues is all over the place at the moment. You've got teams that are four and five games behind the teams, and it's going to be a bit of a mess to resolve that, I think, at the end of the season. But um, we'll we'll kind of maybe return to that topic as we, as we go, because I think the Football League has a bit more leeway to rearrange games later. But they kind of at the point now where it's starting to get a bit tight, even for them, um, just because of the number of games that have been called off and the number of midweeks they'll need to kind of catch all that back up again. I think I, I know it was Chris Chris Wilden was like fuming in midweek because they had twenty cases and they still wouldn't call the game off. I think it was the they, I think they had eighteen cases and it went up to twenty and that was the trigger for the game to get called off. Um, Chris Wilder was not happy midweek. Um, but the, the EFL are basically preventing postponements by not having lateral flow tests on the day of the game or something like that, if I remember rightly. Yeah, they've changed the rules on, on lateral flows on the day of the game, which which is a bit of a Donald Trump I was just going to say, that, was, <laughs> I, I, that raised an eyebrow when I saw that. It's very much putting your head in the sand, isn't it? Rick Harry turning into Donald Trump. There are yeah, no just have, positive tests. Just have a swig of bleach and crack on. <laughs> You'll be yeah, right I, as rain by half time. I, I, I can't do a Donald Trump impression of that <laughs> an attempt to it. There are no positive tests. There is no problem this game. There's no problem. We can play the game. Everybody wants to play the game. Play the game. Yeah, um, it, it's, it does feel a bit of a strange. I mean, I can kind of see what their logic is. The postponements on the day of games are really awkward. And so, you know, let's test whenever it is a few days before and and kind of take it take it on on trust from there but 
it does feel to me like the risk then is you've got lots of people playing with COVID um, spreading and, it, yeah. and spreading it. Mm. And, you know, maybe, maybe Rick Parry wants herd immunity in the EFL. <laughs> maybe that's his strategy, but uh, it does feel slightly odd that they've just said, Oh, we're not going to test anyone. There's not a problem here. Um, having had lots of dealings with Rick Parry over the years, head in the sand is what he is very good at. <laughs> It just needs. It just needs to be in um in a in a cinema and ignore a call to deal with an Emmanuel Vidic's transfer. That will just that will just put the the, the seal on it. Um, yeah, no, it, it's difficult because we can't be having Portsmouth against Sunderland called off on the day because people have got to go yeah. along there. Yeah. Um, and I, I I get that, but it is very. It's kind of like the anti-vaxxer argument is. Um, or I wonder why positive cases are up. It's because there's more testing. Well, that's the point, you morons. <laughs> and it's it's a kind of this is the point of you know if there are positive tests, we must identify people who are positive to remove them from games to stop it spreading or try and stop it spreading. But we are in a really difficult time because this this variant is is incredibly um, virulent. You know, it, it's spreading like wildfire. It, it, it's I, I probably knew three people who who had COVID until December. And now yeah. it's, it's it's well 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 into double figures because it's this one is out of control. It's gone. It's it's yeah. completely out of control. And um, I, I'm not looking to turn it into the COVID podcast again. Uh, but you know it it, it it it's it's really challenging times. And uh, I don't envy. Well, I don't envy Rick Parry full stop. But um, I don't envy the decisions that they've had to make in this kind of Trumpian. Don't test. Stop testing. Stop. Stop counting. Stop the counts. That, there you go. That's Paris COVID motto. Stop the counts. But I, I think the you know the positive is, and again I touch wood as I say this, we we've not seen those footballers kind of having serious cases this year. Because if you remember, Sam McAllen and Darlow. Yeah, yeah. Darlow uh, had a, a really bad bout, didn't he? And um, missed quite a lot of time. Alan St. Maximum had it quite bad at Newcastle last year. Gabriel at Arsenal had a bad strain last year. And frankly, even when he did come back, um, it basically took him till pre-season to kind of rediscover the form he'd shown in his first half of a season because he, he just didn't look the same player post-COVID. So, fingers crossed at the moment, as I'm sure it is for the whole country, that that while this spray, uh, strain is is spreading very quickly, it's it's not causing players to kind of get seriously ill, and it's not causing hopefully too many people in the community to get seriously ill. Um, but it, it, it yeah, I mean I feel like we've said it tonight a million times, but the fixture list is a bit of a nightmare at the best of times, and it's it's not going to be easy to finish this season in a sort of sensible and and coherent manner. Um, it might end up a bit like some of the non-league seasons I've been involved in in the past, where the last two weeks everyone just plays Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday. Um, <laughs> it, we we might end up getting to that point in some of the in some of the football league uh, if things carry on. Yeah, um, difficult times ahead, um, and I'm just going to continue to to watch it unfold and blame Rip Parry when it goes wrong. Um, I think that about covers it. Then um, you've been listening to the big COVID Carling <laughs> pointless cup. Manchester United aren't very good, and Manchester City are going to be champions because Liverpool squad isn't big enough. Podcast. Um, no, you've been listening to the big football podcast. Um, we're available on Spotify, iTunes. Podbean and Google Podcasts and Amazon Music. Um, get yourself a subscription. Uh, it's completely free and it will be downloaded directly to your um, device of choice. 
Um, lovely to catch up with you, gents. It's been a bit of a long one, actually, compared to, to recent standards. But uh, all I can say is that VAR continues to give us ammunition for material beyond our wildest dreams or, or nightmares, as the case often is. Um, so, Paul, Carl, thank you very much. We'll catch you both uh, hopefully next week, hopefully we'll have a, a show next week, but with an FA Cup, there might not be as much to cover. Um, but maybe with the... Uh, I, I'm, certainly, I'm expecting our game to be postponed. Um, so we shall just see what happens, shall we? See how many games we get on. Exactly, yeah. Um, we'll be able to get a podcast on because there's no games to cover, <laughs> but we, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Thank you very much, everyone, and we'll catch you after a while.